Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this week's episode of Talk Easy is supported by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional films from around the globe. Each day, Mubi introduces a new hand-picked gem, and you have one month to watch it. Whether it's a timeless classic, a brand new festival favorite, or a critically acclaimed masterpiece, there's always a perfectly curated selection of films to discover. Try it free for 30 days at mubi.com slash Talk easy. Welcome back to the show. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso, and thank you for being here. This week, we're kicking off the podcast with Mr. Brett Gelman. Gelman most recently made headlines at the tail end of last year when he decided to put principles above all else. In November, he left his post at Adult Swim, where he created and performed various programs because of the company's ongoing issues with gender inequality. Just last June, Splitsider ran an article titled 47 Men, Zero Women. Why doesn't Adult Swim order shows from female creators? Gelman was tired, understandably so, of an operation that refused and still refuses to support women behind the scenes. His lacerating jabs didn't just garner respect from his peers, though. In response to his splashy departure and criticism of the right-leaning show, 
million dollar extreme, alt-right online commentators were on the offensive across social media. Their attacks were beyond pointed. They were vicious, ad hominem taken to its ugliest place. Gelman moved on, though. He left Twitter and pivoted to focusing on work, both politically and in his career. Since the start of being on screen, he's been an outspoken voice against systemic injustices within the Hollywood system. He's also just been a steady actor, with bit parts in movies, The Other Guys, 30 Seconds or Less, Joshy, and television, Fleabag, Man Seeking Woman, Gelman has made a name for himself in comedy. His comedic brand is something in between reasonably frustrated and gleefully irate. The humor is politically charged, discontent with the status quo, as evidenced by his last special, Brett Gelman's Dinner in America. Now he's back on screen in Lemon, which premieres later this week at the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. He believes it features his best work to date, in large part because of its director, Janiska Bravo, his wife who was behind the Juneteenth episode of Atlanta from last year, and the short film, Gregory Goes Boom. The film tells the story of a stagnating actor who watches his life fall into disarray as his blind girlfriend leaves him. It's claimed to be a semi-autobiographical story. Gelman's words, not mine. That's kind of what's so fascinating about Brett and this conversation. He's endlessly self-aware, rigorously interrogating his ideas and why he believes them. We hit on a lot of topics here, from wanting to be liked, to his mini on-stage feud with Eric Andre, to Donald Trump's America. He's one of those people who is immediately, unabashedly honest. You either run with it, or you don't. I did my best to keep pace. So, finally, here is Brett Gelman. So, first guest of the year, uh, first person I spoke oh to. Oh my God, I'm your, yeah, first, I'm your first. First of the, wow. first of the year. Very nice. Very uh, yeah. apropos yeah, we're starting for off, 2017. Are we starting off strong? Is this going to be a strong start? You and I. This oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I have no, I have no doubts. Um, I mean, you know, apart from my usual, just general multiple dar- doubts and yeah. in, in everything. But uh, it seems yeah. like you have a lot of those. Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot. I'm, a, yeah. you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Jewish stereotype. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean, I. Life is a chaotic thing. It's an unknown thing, and so to. Pretend to know that you know that something is going to be okay is uh, is an illusion. But but at the end of the day, I'm, I I think I'm an, an optimist. Uh, I do believe in the greater good, and I do believe that overall we will be okay. But things happen. Okay, that's a good yeah. place to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are uh, today's Monday, Friday. We're having uh, our, our president-elect become president. Yes, and today is MLK's yeah MLK Day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, how are you feeling in four days? We're coming up on it. In four days, I feel not great about it. Um, Decidedly not great. Yeah, I you know I I don't think 
it is the end of things. I think that he is a hyperbolization. <laughs> he's no, he he's 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 a hyperbolic representation of of the problems uh, of this world, and he is also a distraction from from the real uh, the real problems that lie behind him. Mm. I think that we must be careful to really watch what he does and watch especially what our Congress and his, his cabinet members do um, and not, so, not obsess so much on what he says because I think that that is pure propaganda mm. and manipulation. Distraction. Yeah, I think his tweets should not be responded to. I mean, this is the whole problem with the whole situation. The, this is where the media fucked up, where, where mainstream news fucked up, which was they assumed that he would not win, and they decided to benefit with making him their main story. They profited and, from it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, news probably... I don't have the numbers in front of me, but mm. I imagine uh, these outlets, CNN... Fox News, of course, uh, MSNBC benefited greatly. I mean, yeah. the New York Times, the Washington, all, all of these subscriptions play- went up. Yes, because they had their star player who always had, you know. Although I'd be careful to conflate the New York Times with maybe more of the network television. I don't think they. I think the New York Times was pretty vigilant and wrote really reported stories about. They they warned us for months about. What he did in the eighties and nineties with the housing and the segregated housing—they they they did re- plenty of reported pieces. But I think they played the middle at times. They and, played the middle and, at times, and but contributed but to the normalization a little bit. The biggest problem is that their polling was wrong. That that, yeah, that it fucking was wrong. thing. On, do you remember that thing on the Times that said ninety percent chance Hillary Clinton wins? And we all thought, okay, fuck, thank God. Yeah, and and I don't totally blame them how could they how could anyone have thought that this would be the scenario besides people who were struggling in this country uh prior to 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 the election year Mm. both the people who were struggling who were for him and both the people who were struggling who were not for him i i don't i don't think that this is a massive surprise i think that this is a surprise mostly to white liberal america and um, I don't, I, I, and I think that we really, really, really need to take that into account moving forward. Mm-hmm. That this is not just a a result of the right. This is also a result of the left. This is a result of the white liberal elite. I think there's a well. conversation happening, certainly that I know that the responsibility is on us. We, we fucked up. We, we, we didn't, I don't think we did enough. I, I don't think, yeah, and by that I mean white liberals. I don't think we did enough, and I, I also think that we uh, continue to not do enough. So is this why you left Twitter? Is this, is this, this is a big reason on why I left Twitter. Because okay. I thought, to be honest with you, you were one of the few voices that I... I always thought you're fighting a good fight, and I and I thought not a lot of people in your line of work, you know, they do it, but it feels feels sort of fake and artificial. In conversations, you know, the one time we hung out back there, you were very passionate about it. Yeah. And in person, and I was struck by like, oh, that's not a that's not artifice. He's not doing that as sort of 
performative thing on social media, this is something that you're clearly passionate about. Yeah. And I thought it seemed like a good force to have on social media. Your account. Um, thanks. I, well, first of all, I, well, I, I, what I realized, I, I was, I was political on social media prior to what went down with Adult Swim. Hmm. And a lot of that was consistently ignored. And I thought, and I, I found that real political activity from the white liberals was ignored by other white liberals. Hmm. And I, I don't think that I, you know, I don't, I would just wasn't really getting that much of a reaction. I didn't get a reaction until the press decided to report on what I said. Um, and so you said nothing I ever really said on Twitter ever did anything was something you said recently. I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I don't think it ever really did much. I mean, it may, maybe did for a, a couple people, but I, I, I think that I think social media is a, a total circus. I think there's instances in where it does help. I, I won't say that it doesn't, but I think that there is a lot of, 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 of negativity that is being spawned from it, and I, and and I, I think. There's a lot of great things. I mean, you know, things that happened with the the pipeline, you know, with the in North Dakota was was that was incredible. Yeah, was really really amazing. Maybe and it's it, the confusing or the conflating of awareness and action that they're not the same thing. Exactly, exactly. And and we have an we have an overabundance of awareness now, and we have a a real lack of action, and. I, I when I when I tweeted about it and the and the news outlets p- picked it up I was like well rather than spend my time screaming to the ether and nobody listening oh now I know that maybe I can contact these news outlets to to make statements and then and that's what people paid attention to not my tweets mm-hmm. people paid attention to split cider variety <laughs> Huffington Post, Paste, you know, these outlets that were reporting on the fact that I had left. Mm-hmm. That's when I got reaction. And uh, they were reacting to controversy. Exactly. They, they so give, they that is... They didn't give a shit. They don't about, give a shit about, 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 about constructive no. action at all. They, 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 and that is what I had a problem with. I mean, look, I'll be honest. I didn't want... I got tired of being called a kike multiple times a day by anonymous you know these anonymous basement nazis how, okay? how, how much were you getting i mean it was it was it was prevalent it was prevalent hmm. uh and i know that a lot of people get abused much more than me and they stay on there and hey i respect them for that but i mean the main reason that i left was just like i was like this fucking website got this this person helped is a main reason why this guy got elected and he breaks their terms and conditions they have david duke on there who breaks their terms and conditions they have these anonymous trolls that break their terms and conditions and jack dorsey and mark zuckerberg and and the board of facebook they benefit off of off of it, it's it's disaster profiteering. It's mm. chaos profite- profiteering. They make money as these 
things explode and and people are getting hurt in the process. Our world, our country is getting hurt in the process. So by me being on those websites, I'm contributing to these assholes making money. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I just didn't want to do that anymore. And uh, and it just felt like such a waste of time. And it's such a fucking distraction. I mean, everything on there is such a distraction. And, and, and it fools people into thinking that they're doing something. And, and I, I am just as frustrated by seeing so many people just like retweeting articles. And I'm just like, dude, the people who agree with you know that this is happening. You're not converting anyone. You're not converting anybody. And the people who disagree with you think that you're fucking lying and think that the New York Times and the Washington Post are lying. Didn't you try to interact and try to... Didn't you respond to the people that were antagonizing you and calling you names? No. Did you completely ignore them? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. No, I mean, that's all those people want is attention. These are people in their basement who... They want your time. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm even hesitant to talk about that on this podcast <laughs> because you, you I launched right into it, you know, uh, and that that'll be the end of it. But like, you know, it, and it's not about them. I mean, those <clears throat> people, those people are a distraction too. <clears throat> those people are you being used as tools by these these uh, yeah these people up on high, you know, who are making money off of this. So. Yeah, and it's just like the the liberals are contributing just as much, though. I, I don't think that I, I don't I don't think that the liberal like a lot of the white liberals are helping. They're they're hurting. They're 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 creating unrelatable uh, stances and and just and and being not mindful. There is what is the, the major problem is there is a, a major lack of mindfulness, and that is what happens when you just. Uh, you have something at your disposal to just shoot off at the mouth whenever whenever you see fit rather than like really like taking the time to like connect not only with other people but with yourself and your own thoughts and i actually interrogating the ideas that you say you believe in yeah i mean you're just you're not only distracting other people you're distracting yourself in, in a massive in an unhealthy way do you feel more productive now i do I do, and I feel more focused. I mean, I have a problem with focus anyway. You know, I got like OCD, and I'm making like lists all day and making plans and making plans and making plans. Do you, do you not? Then I find myself make, like I didn't do anything today. Yeah, I just so, fucking made plans. I'm a big list maker. No, like like people who I work with are like, okay, yeah, great. Those eight things sound great, but how about you you do this one thing right now and like really get to that? And I don't know. Maybe that like all contributes to me eventually getting to the one thing and really going into that with a lot of of purpose but uh what's the what's the issue you think my issue well, like with focusing rather i think i'm an escapist in a lot of ways i think that uh making lists and plans and and what i'm gonna do and uh is a, is a you know is an escape i think that a, a, a different muscle is used uh, with with the doing than the thinking hmm. about doing, it's a totally different muscle. And I think with actually doing, there is an incredible amount of of anxiety because once when you're making plans, you're not you're not at risk of failure. Yeah. When you start the doing, you're at major risk of failure. Hmm. <laughs> it's easier to be an ambitious scheduler than like an ambitious creative person. Uh yeah. 
he's like you sort of write these plans. And you're like, oh, that sounds that sounds great. Oh, I'd love to do that. Oh, that's, and that's I mean, you know, I mean, how, how we're surrounded by that. It's constant. Like, what are you working on? And like, what are you gonna be working on? And like, I had this meeting today. It's like. Even after you've made something, you know, we, you don't know what's going to happen to that thing until it happens. And even after it gets its response, you don't know how it's going to stand the test of time. You know, you, there, there are constant, constant obstacles that can come into uh, the creative process. And, and, and not you've just made, the creative, you've made but all of, of life. I mean, you've made, you've made a lot. I have? Oh, good. <laughs> Especially, in a, I, I'd say, Brett, I'd say, let, let, there's no room for self-modesty. You've made a lot of stuff in the last few years. I think that's fair to say. Actually, it's objectively true. I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't, even, I didn't say it was good. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Thanks. No, uh, no, 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 I know you. No, I mean, hey, look. Uh, I don't think that everything that I've been a part of is good, uh, but I think there's a good amount By that way, is. That's and I've been very lucky to work with some incredibly talented, uh, very provocative, original people. Yeah, and uh, and so yeah, but you know, sometimes you roll the dice on something and it doesn't necessarily pan out that. But way. the point is that you rolled the dice. That point is that you rolled the dice, man, and that's that's every day for every single person, and uh, and we want to think that that's not the case, myself we, included. We want guarantees that everything's going to be okay, and most likely it will, uh, especially if you're uh, it, most likely it will if you're where we are, <laughs> you know, if you're somebody like us, you know, most likely. <laughs> Uh, very likely it won't if you're the majority of the world. Mm. And that is the thing, too, going back to this election. That was like, well, you think, oh, the white liberals just like fucking went nuts. Oh, my God. I mean, because they find they for the first time in a very long time were faced with the possibility of being oppressed. But that is something that the majority of the world, the majority of this country is faced with every single day. Mm. And, and 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 is their reality so uh, like let's calm down a little bit and start connecting to people who are not just like us mm. you know that's uh that's that but yeah no i've stayed i've stayed active <laughs> and uh, I, I have a response <laughs> oh yeah 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 i have a response for you but yeah, yeah. but but you, you Please so, tell me to shut up. If no, you no. Need, uh, I uh, can tell you. I can babble all day. No. Well, I mean, it's okay. You, I can tell you were working <laughs> through something there. So I was letting you. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, Always working through something, man. I, I got love for stuff you made and, and for what you're doing. But I, oh, I, thank you. Um, I'm still going to give you shit. But yeah, that, man, please. That's, that's, yeah, that's part of life. Yeah, I give myself I was. This is the last thing I'll say about the election and and. We can move on. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm sure people want to hear about something else. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Is that I was here during the election. I was in this. I was in Cine Family. Oh, you were watching it. I was watching it, and um, it was one of the oddest nights. Not only because of Trump winning, but the the event here at Cine Family was like their Cine Family Interruptus, and they had like Berlant, and they had all these pe- all these you know uh, John Early and all these comics. Molly Shannon came, and like everyone was. They came to have a good time because we all thought we congregated here and we all thought 
this is going to be like, we're going to have first woman president. That's, yeah. That's an exciting thing. And I saw a room, you know, you don't see rooms change in tone that often no. like that. It was shocking. It really was. And, and I had people come to me who were looking to me for like stability, a friend of mine. And she, she asked me like, is it going to be okay? And throughout the night I was like, oh, it's okay. She'll win Virginia. She'll win. It's going to, I think. It yeah, no, and, I know. And, 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 and I, I, I'll say right now, but maybe I, we need I, to I be did scared. not, I did not think it was an impossibility at any step of the game. I, 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 I said he got this far. We <laughs> yeah. keep saying it's an impossibility and he keeps getting farther and farther. So I, I was still shocked and so incredibly disappointed, but, uh, to, I mean, which is an understatement, but I was disappointed, but the point of my ramble was like, yeah, I think the sadness galvanized us and unified us in a way. I th- I already see it happening. I already, I, 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 already, I already see people more vigilant. I do too. And I think, uh, yeah, we just got to keep increasing that and, and connect with, with people who are not exactly like us. It's okay. And really take it's, it's into it. It's perfectly account. okay to do that. <laughs> it's not that scary. Really try to take in other perspectives. Anyway, let's move on from this political discussion before we start crying. I agree. Let's we can cry do, about other things. We can do the ad break right here. <laughs> Brought to you by Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Twitter and Facebook. Get on that shit and type, type, type. Uh... <laughs> You can go to Twitter at twitter.com, <laughs> sign up for their newsletter. Um, okay, so <laughs> with all that yeah, yeah. in mind, uh, new year, new ethos, new us trying to do better. I'm curious, where are you finding value and purpose now? Did, did, was that changed or altered by what had happened last year and and then what's going to happen with Trump coming in? Oh, um, like, do you feel like your what you were doing prior to this is like what you want to continue doing or are you altering your course? I think in some ways, uh, I'm continuing to go the course, um, that I was on. I mean, I've always been on this course. Uh, I've always thought I've always been, pretty politically minded yeah. and every day I get more so you know I you're special last year I mean especially yeah uh, I I already <laughs> thinking that there is a problem with the white liberals in this country and how they are deluded and uh, and not really that much better than the white people on the right I mean I, I, in, in some ways they're worse is a thing that I've thought for quite a while and uh, in terms of their actions, not their thoughts, I mean, I don't think that like white liberals are actively racist or misogynist or homophobic or transphobic, but white liberal men, I mean, I should say. Um, but I do think that they're look every you know your day to day life. If you don't if you don't actively seek to be conscious, you're not going to be. You know, it's it's very easy for anyone to get on automatic. And uh, and so I think I've always been, you know, I've always wanted to zap people out of that 
automatic way of life and really make them take a look at how uncomfortable the reality of life really is. And and so, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I don't know if I, I will be as tolerant of, of certain things that I was tolerant before, but then you know, I, I do believe sometimes the end justifies the means. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think I will be more political going forward, but try to be inclusive in that and not preachy. Hmm. Um, which I was, you know, with mine and Jason's last special, I thought we did a good job of, of doing that because I thought that that special was not an answer. It was a question. And I think anybody who pretends that they have the overall answer, that is an illusion because an overall answer doesn't exist. It is about a day-to-day reality of living. And and our special was just as much Jason and I pointing the finger at ourselves as anybody else. I include myself and Jason includes himself in the white liberal category mm. of privilege and comfort. And, and I, sometimes I'm on automatic too. So it's also just like about my own exploration. I don't put myself above anybody else. I, 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 I think I can easily go into an automatic state of being. You know, so it's just as much about zapping myself out of that as it is zapping other mm. people, an audience out of that. How much of you working right now is nixing the thing you talked about in the beginning, which is the massive doubts you believe you have? Oh, I think that. Um, no, I don't think you should nix those doubts. I think that you keep that those dar- doubts are. Well, you, I mean, you just organically. <laughs> You're, if you have the doubts, you deal with them. I don't think we're really that much in control well, what are they? over what, a lot for of you, what we what are, feel and what we think. What, what are they? Exactly? Oh, I mean, a lot of times I feel like I'm a fraud. A lot of the times I feel like I, I'm not uh, talented. A lot of the times I feel like nobody has any interest in, in what I have to say or seeing me up on a screen or stage. Um, I'm, you know... I'm, I'm ugly, uh, uh, you know, I'm unhealthy, I'm insane, you know, all of these things uh, uh, can, you know, depending on the moment, come into my, my, my mind. But, mm. you know, that's what, that's what work is for, that's what your loved ones are for, that's what uh, therapy is for, exercise, mm. all of these things. So Was that stuff that has been there since the beginning, since, like, your... Lotto man days. Oh like my in New God! York. I mean, it's been there since uh, I had thoughts. I think huh. you know. I don't. I'm. I've always had a an incredibly low self esteem. Yeah. Were your parents supportive? They yeah, they were very supportive. Yeah, um, and maybe at times too much. You know, to where I thought that this is how the rest of the world should be, and then when I met the world and saw it was not going to just like pet my ego every second (laughs) i saw it as like as like what my you know i i saw it as this this evil truth that i had been uh hidden from my whole childhood were they were the type of parents that were like you're a star you're great you're the best brett my dad was it was very no nonsense you know my dad was i i think uh very (laughs) Very much like it's about what you do and not, you know, what you say. Even though 
he was really encouraging, never discouraged me. And, and I also was, you know, financially supported a lot you, uh, coming up. I, 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 and I didn't grow up poor, you know, but my parents made money as they had me. I kind of saw, it was, it was interesting. I saw my parents become successful, uh-huh. which was, uh, was interesting, which I, I only notice in retrospect. You didn't notice that as a kid? Not so much. No, I never was deprived of, of anything, really. Um, and, uh, you know, like the Hanukkah presents got cheaper and cheaper, <laughs> you know? But you just were like, that's the way that is, you know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's how you gauge it. My parents would get really stressed out about money a lot. Huh. I mean, even when they had become well off, I right, would right. be like, Ma, you're rich. Like, you and Dad, you're rich. And then they were like, we're not rich. We work for our money. You know, they... Yeah, they never saw themselves as wealthy. Though it's like, I think that's like the definition of privilege that you understood class by gifts or rather the lack of, like the decreasing value exactly. of gifts. Exactly. No, incredibly privileged. I didn't, yeah. yeah, I didn't. It's a beautiful thing. I had a, I had a silver spoon, you know, given me in my mouth. Um, but my mother, <laughs> yeah, my mother, I was like really coddled and very spoiled and, mm-hmm. uh. And she, she wanted me to be okay, you know, and I, I, I think there was a major anxiety over that. I mean, I think that, like, from, from the get-go, I, I think that I was somewhat of a, of a fragile kid, both physically and emotionally. I, I had, like, major coordination issues and things like that. And I, I have to imagine that a parent, when they see that, uh, is very, you know, they get really, I, I can't imagine the stress that goes that goes on inside of you. So, I think she became very, you know, and she was, uh, you know, even from when she was a little girl, she was very much about taking care of other people, and she still is. She still is. Uh, so, um, she just wants her kids to be okay. And sometimes, though, you know, and that that prevents you from letting them go out and make mistakes and go. Well, yeah part of the real world is not everybody's going to like you. Yeah. And that's not a failure. That's just the way it is. So you better get used to that. And so that's taken me really up until like the last couple of years to even begin to truly come to terms with. Intense, right? Putting a pause on the conversation for a second to uh, talk about the importance of deep cuts. Um... I promise this is also about movie as well, but uh, you know how when you first got into a great filmmaker's filmography or even a great band's discography, you were shown generally the best thing that they had made. You, you listened to Al Green and you heard Let's Stay Together, you listened to The Beatles and you heard Abbey Road, but then years went on and you dug a little deeper and you discovered that eh, maybe Living For You is better than Let's Stay Together. And maybe Abbey Road is really not as good as Rubber Soul. Please send all Beatle hate mail to uh, talkeasypod at gmail.com. Happy to feel those inquiries. But I'm also going to make the case that as great as Fritz Lang's M is, and it is a masterpiece, there's something wonderfully joyful about seeing a filmmaker pivot and do something a little bit different than what you're used to. And uh, he made this great film called Scarlet Street, which is on movie. It's a hidden gem in Lang's Hollywood years, 
a film noir that includes a man in the throes of a midlife crisis, played by Edward G. Robinson, femme fatales, and a long con. It's a simmering drama of crime and desire and passion. It's exactly what you want right now, I'm sure. And uh, if you have time this week, you should check it out by heading over to movie.com slash talkeasy for your free 30-day trial. Just signing up and exploring this platform helps out both Mubi and this podcast. Now, back to Brett. I think a lot of... No, my self-esteem started to really build, I think, once I moved to Los Angeles, oddly enough. That is odd. uh, Yeah, because it's not a town that is... uh, that is, you know, very supportive of the self-esteem a lot of the time. It sort unless, of it sort of takes the self-esteem and then kind of just crumbles it and mangles it and then kind of throws it in the trash and then hopefully you can like dig into the trash and take it out and then open it back yeah. up. Yeah. Well, I think that moving here really I, I it just coincided with a lot of th- different things happening that showed me it's not really about what you do is 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 what affects how you think about yourself. Not this like picture of yourself mm. that this abstract self image. It's it's if you do if you are on top of your life and take positive action, it makes you feel good about yourself. Mm. You know, and that you're and you're either moving up or you're moving down. You know, it's it's with, with mental health as as well as physical health, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. There's no stagnant plateau that you stay in. Mm. Um, and though that may be just for you, I don't know if that's true for everyone. Yeah. I can only speak for myself. So, uh, so yeah, with me, it's like every choice every day affects how, how I feel, um, mentally and physically. Mm. So, was there a moment um, in New York? I bring up the lotto thing because I just know about yeah. that. I'm feeling really good about winning take five today. Uh- you should. All you need is me. Little bit of luck. If she has a little bit of luck, what about me? No, no. That's my little bit of luck. Right, baby? Baby. <laughs> That's ladies, ladies. There's enough of me to go around for everyone. Oh, really? Well, how's that? Well, the odds of winning take five are one in nine. There's 100,000 winners every day. I'm going to take you home. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, man. Totally. <laughs> Was there a moment, but maybe even after that, um, or even when you moved here, where you thought to yourself... I don't think this is going to work out. Was there like something that you had? Did you have that fear? Oh, I mean, I still have that fear. (laughs) (laughs) That that fear, that, that fear specifically doesn't no longer could translate because you have made now. Now the question is, the question now is, will you continue to make it? Um, right. No, I've definitely, I, I mean that, uh, I was not like, I, I thought about whether or not I should take that lotto job. I was not, I was not psyched about it, but I was broke. So Sounds um, like it was a good move. Yeah, it had nothing. You know, it had no effect, positive or negative, on my career, and I, I never thought that it would. Um, I mean, I thought it might. I was scared that it would have a negative effect, but I had no illusions that I thought that that would do anything for me besides give me and my friends a good laugh. You know, when I was everywhere, and I was 
everywhere in New York City. Uh, and you this made money. Image of myself, and I made more money than I had ever made. Um, by I mean, by a landslide, um, but not as much money as I should have made for doing that job. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, in, it wasn't insane, but it definitely made me able, you know, to be. I mean, I was sleeping on a couch at that point, and. So, but I had, yeah, I major doubts and doing that job fucking sucked. I mean, it, you know, it didn't make me feel good about myself. I mean, I was like a Jewish stereotype. I mean, it was, I was, I was like a little creature. And then part of this horrible <laughs> campaign for an arguably evil institution. I mean, it was, uh, I was like, I mean, I tell people I was like tricking poor people into gambling. I was like this Jewish minstrel character tricking poor people into gambling. So it's like, it didn't feel good. Yeah. Despite the advertising execs coming up to me and being like, do you know how important this character is to people? Do you know that a little boy in New Jersey dressed up as you for Halloween? And I made sure before I said yes to the job that it was not going to be a national campaign, which, of course, it wouldn't be. It's not like they were ever saying that it was going to be because it was the New York Lotto. But in my ignorance of, of what it was, you know, I was yeah. scared that. Oh, could this go national? And it's an interesting starting point for your career. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't see it as that. I saw it as the last like bas- you know, the last like uh, piss, pit, pit stop before the start of my career. I see another mm-hmm. point as the beginning of my What's career. What's the beginning? Uh, One thousand cats, okay. I think, was the beginning of of what I thought of. You know, it, uh, which was my one man musical that I did. I had been doing for like eight years at UCB. Huh. That uh, that I did uh, as part of Funnier Die Presents, uh, which was on uh, this show on HBO, which was like you know this yeah and I remember variety and you know short film anthology show, and so uh, that was really the beginning that I thought, and then everything just kind of happened from that. Mm. Is that how it generally goes? You think for people? Yeah, um, especially rather in comedy. I don't know. I mean, I guess. I mean, everybody starts somewhere and has that one thing. But, I mean, I've seen, like, people I know, like, you know, like Aziz, like, have a, you know, a meteoric rise, mm. you know. Is that, just, o- is that odd to be part of? At least it's like, wild t- to see, like, people you know just, like, blow up like that, you know. But you're not part of it. <laughs> well, I... I, I <laughs> Tangentially, you're in the, his orbit. You're his friend. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, it was you know. And hey, look, I mean, the guy, you know, hats off to to him that he knows how he has that gift of like, I I do this, 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 and uh, he seems very disciplined, incredibly disciplined person, but also lives the good life too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and there are, there are quite a few people who are. That I that I've known who, who are disciplined in that way. Mm. I meant more. I guess I thought I I, cause I remember he- hearing some maybe it was on Marin years ago, and he would talk about like when he was young in New York, he would pass out. He was like the flyer boy, like he would pass out the flyers, but then he would also like he was he he kind of knew he was already like gaming the system, not gaming the system, but like he knew the right moves at at like yeah. 
Yeah. No, it went from, hey, who's this kid, like, walking in at, like, 11 p.m., you know, to do the midnight show. Do you remember that? I remember walking into the theater and seeing him and being like, who's this kid? And then, like, six months later, the kid was the main attraction, you know, of the theater and uh, was running shit, you know. <laughs> so. Where was this? It was in New York. It was in New York. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh. Yeah, it was when the theater was already at 26th Street, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he he was like a focal point right away, right away. You know, funny dude, and and a very very smart businessman. Hmm. Do you have to be both in this field? No. <laughs> no. That's a good direct answer. A lot answer. of people who aren't funny or massively successful, and there's a lot of people who are not good business people who fall into it and have other people doing their business for them, mm. you know, or just kind of are taken care of. Isn't it harder for the former, the people who are not talented but are good, shrewd business men or women? No. Isn't it hard oh, to sustain an audience? I don't know. I think that there are quite a uh, few of massively successful people who have sustained that audience. Who I won't mention about? names. Oh, I can't mention. But names. they're massively. They 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 they're going to be successful with or without your. Not, I just want to know who you, who you even think. Oh, but I know these people. I can't. You know, and I okay. and I might uh, work with these people. So <laughs> I, I. Yeah, it's not like. <laughs> Look, man. I don't have like. I'm not like. Mr. Integrity here. I mean, uh, you know, if, if something's going to benefit me personally, I mean, I am, I, I am an opportunity. It's not like I'm just like willing to fall on my sword at every, uh, every step of the way. No, I mean, I, I am guilty of being opportunistic at times. You know, uh, within reason. I have to say, I like you so much more now. Oh, thanks, man. No, I mean, <laughs> I know look, just if met. somebody's not a morally reprehensible, like completely morally reprehensible person, you know, of co- and it's going to benefit me. If it benefits me, then I grow and I can do more good. Mm. That's what I meant by the end justifies the means right. before. Um, and, and even then, you know, if, if you only work with angels in this business, you're not going to fucking work. This this business is made up of a lot of really fucked up people. So what's most you just in- got to do the best you can. What's most interesting about this is one I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and it makes sense. Yeah, it's you being the shrewd businessman. But what's fascinating is that it is uh, it is contradictory to what you've just done. Right. You just decided, this is what we were talking about earlier, I'm going to lead with principle. And the principle is I'm not working for someone who I believe is a bad person. Right. And are doing things that I don't believe in. Yeah. I thought that uh, the line was crossed. So there's a line. With them. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't work, every institution has moral problems. Uh, The making of money... You, there are pitfall, moral pitfalls that that come into play hmm. uh, at times. Um, so, but there there is a line, and I think when, yeah, and I I just I I, I was just I was disgusted with the, with the mindlessness of it. It, it just was. 
as as immoral as it was, it was just fucking stupid. I was like, I was just like, these people are fucking idiots. They like they're they they've like put themselves in this in this bubble that they can just act like morons. <laughs> when did you realize that? Um, I, I, I realized it way before I made that statement. I, I, mean, I didn't make a statement. I, I was just being honest to one of my friend, my fans. I mean, on 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 Twitter, yeah. I just like posted two articles. I wasn't like, "This is the thing I'm doing." It turned into that, and I was glad that it did. You know, and I followed that lead. But I didn't even think that anybody would give a shit that I posted those articles because mm. I was talking about I was posting about you know people getting killed by the cops and and the pipeline and and uh, you know uh, oppression of Planned Parenthood and all, all you know just but you weren't directly involved with those organizations I think that's I think that's where people's attention it was it was a mix of a sort of hot button issue combined with someone who was on the inside saying no I don't want yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's why people were attracted to it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they were. You know, I, 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 I just think, and it's, and they, they went way beyond the, the traditional bigotry of of this business, which there is. I mean, but they went way beyond it, way beyond it, which is a bummer because in some ways they're incredibly inclusive. You know. They give a lot of people of color work there, you know. So it's it's that is that is cool, yeah. you know. And and uh, but unfortunately, the way in which they cross the line in the other way, it, it just is just too much of a drag. But hey, I wish that network the best because I have a lot of friends that work there, and yeah. I want them to have success. Certainly, you know? it didn't. It no longer worked for you. It but no it's, inter- it's interesting that there's a line, and you seem to have one that you figured out for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I just, yeah. Like, if somebody is just like just vehemently denying other perspectives, and then allowing the opposite of those other perspectives yeah. in, uh, it just was like it was a clear metaphor of of, of where. Of where that that institution was at, you know. Do you think you could have been more uh, critical in your assessment of them without you? You slammed Mike. What what was his last name? Lazo. You called him at his core a bad person. Did I say that? Yeah. So again, I don't know him. <laughs> No, I don't think he's a bad person. Okay, okay. What I'm suggesting is like when you say shit like that, there's no world in which he reads that and is like, I'm gonna change now, because it's just what you said. It's when we call people things like that. Oh. And so I guess I'm wondering, do you think there could have been a, a way that would have led to more change? Maybe change is already happening, but I don't know. No, because I felt like with with that situation, I think that those people are. Uh, and I'm not saying you weren't entitled. I don't to have think they're willing feelings. to listen. Oh, okay. Well then, no. Okay. So I think the only I, I think that that he is a sovereign of that network, and uh, and I think that there was just such like a mindlessness that um, I don't I don't think I don't think I was going to do any good, you know. Well, then your approach, the angry approach, has to be. At time, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, 
you know, you're diplomatic as long as as much as you can. But well, right. once the, all the doors are closed, That's you gotta you gotta kick them open. It's like you're gonna knock on the door, and if they didn't want to, they weren't opening the door, then you have to knock yeah. it down. I mean, there's yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like. I I slip up sometimes and like will be mindless, yeah. you know, and and have to be awakened, you know, mm. <laughs> to my own ignorance at times. So it's I'm not like I'm not an innocent here. Yeah. You know, I'm not like on high mm. looking how, down how, at the rest of every, you know. How much of um Janixa has she played in both your uh, sort of growth as like both an artist and, and a person. I mean, uh, I don't think there's anybody who has influenced me more than her. She she raised the bar uh, in a, in a really extreme way mm. once, and and also just seeing what she's had to go through as a woman of color in the world. How long have you guys been together? Eight years. So you were there. Pretty much at the start of her career, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was. And, uh, I mean, she had been directing theater before that, so it wasn't the beginning of her career. I mean, she was doing, you know, a lot of experimental theater. Hmm. Uh, but the beginning of her film career and television career. Um, so, and, yeah, and this is a person who never back down who you know who really just worked she you know she's had to really work her ass off and uh do you think she's worked harder than you <laughs> uh yeah I, th- I think she has much better work ethic and discipline than i do yeah i mean but that's another way in which she's influenced me and she was she is the main person more than anybody else in my life who has said if you want something you better do something about it you know, and get off your ass and stop thinking that it's just going to be given to you by magic, mm. you know? So, it's uh, a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a very good thing. You know, when we've both had each other's backs, we've both been each other's main advocates and, uh, you know, cause it's not all, you're not always working with people who are, uh, uh share your work <laughs> ethic or perspective. So you, you know, you, you gotta have each other's back. Mm. But uh, yeah, I'm very. I'm. I mean, she's the most uh, most important, and just on a level of love, right? Too, you know, as someone there's nothing unfamiliar, that comes close. as someone unfamiliar with what you have, uh-huh. <laughs> as, uh huh. You know, I'm a young. You know, I'm, I'm sure, an, I'm, sure. I'm, when I'm, I was your I'm, age, yeah, I'm foolish, and um, I'm curious. When you first met her, what was that like? Were you like? Did you know there was something there? Yeah, yeah, it felt very different than uh, anybody else I had met. Um, it just felt very like it felt. She just was. I've never, I've never known anyone who is in any way like her. So uh, you were in New York. We were in New York. I had met her a couple times. I knew we both knew people, uh, and I had met her briefly. And I was not her type. <laughs> Did she say that? Look, Brett, yeah, you're not my type. I'm no, sorry. Nobody is more honest than my wife. Uh, yeah. Um, 
No. She led with that? No, she didn't like lead with that. I mean, that was like a different, you know, she wasn't like uh, to hurt me or anything like that. But no, uh, she, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, she was like, she generates a lot of, a lot of celebration around her, you know, despite, you know, the, the fact that she also has to deal with, uh, you know, social political antagonism at time, you know, mm. a lot of the time. But, uh, yeah, you know, she is, um, she she creates an aura around her that is is you know something that that i think a lot of people are including myself very intimidated by so i'd never really engaged with uh with someone on that level uh especially romantically so yeah it just felt and i was like very obsessed with her i mean i think i i came off as a stalker the first couple months what did you do Oh man, I'd like show up at her fucking up, but like she, she stupidly gave me a key to her place. I like would wait there, like sitting on her bed with like a book I bought her. Uh, Wait, why did she give you a key? With within the first month of dating, I think it was just you know it was like a very. uh, (laughs) Were you homeless or no? I just I think I was just very persistent, you know. She was like, "All right, one month boyfriend. Here's a key." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she wasn't sure about me for like the first few months. She was like, "Oh God, it's like, what a trusting person to to be uncertain about someone and also give him a key to their home." Yeah, that's kind of astonishing, right? Yeah, she liked me a lot. She liked me a lot, and then was also sort of scared of me. So she was like, "It was like, what was she scared of?" Oh, I think she just thought I would like was like fucking insane and like could, could, like. If I leave this person, is he gonna like kill me? Uh, no, he shouldn't think that. But uh, you know, I think I, I was just I was obs- I was constantly afraid that she was gonna leave me. So you know, and, and break it off. Very romantic love story you got here. It was very romantic, very romantic, but very chaotic, very chaotic. It was not you know like anything. We, you know, we're not like uh, you know nothing is 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 smooth. You know, when it comes to her and I, and, and with anything, it's all very intense. Really. Yeah. It hasn't gotten easier. With us? Yeah. Oh. It's easy. I won't say it's difficult. You know, I'm I I I can't give it a label of easy or difficult. It's just intense. It's how we prefer to live our lives, you know. It's it's uh and we're incredibly honest mm. and I've never neither of us has ever been bored in our relationship and we continue to keep each other on our toes. We don't let things lie. We we dig it up and then address it. That's good. Yeah, which I I would say constantly intense. My that's my advice to you. Communicate what you're thinking and feeling, mm. but with responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So at what point was she like? Okay, I think like a few months in. Well, well, what happened was I came home uh, from an audition actually. And I was like super bummed out about it. And it was like the first time I really let her see me super bummed out. I stopped playing this character of trying to impress her. And then she was like, she's like, I don't think I, you know, it's not that I like seeing you bummed out, but I like seeing you let your guard down. Yeah. Because like coming up in like comedy, there's a lot of bullshit, you know. And coming up in this business, of course, you know, there's a lot of, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. And uh, is that what most people are like in at yeah. the UCB club? I mean, is that what you're? Yeah, totally. 
I mean, I haven't been really a part of that for a bit. I haven't been like in the mix. No, I know that now. But uh, when you were um, we were coming up, yeah. Oh yeah, it was constantly like posturing that you were doing great. And I think even then, though, I wasn't one of those people totally. But I, 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 I've always had like the quality that I would get the rid of if I had to rid myself of a quality uh-huh. would be uh, the desperation to be liked. I, I think. Which I think some people who know me would be surprised in hearing me say that because I'm like, he's an asshole. I don't know what he's talking. They're gonna hear this and be like, yeah, like if there is, I I would love if he would be more desperate for me to like him, please, so that he would shut his fucking mouth. But uh, (laughs) no, I uh, I think yeah, because um, I think that desperation to be liked in, in, in term. And I think this goes for a lot of people who are really emotional people. You know, it's like the shame that comes along with that sometimes makes you go the opposite extreme in situations that you that you wish you hadn't. You know, in the past, and that's the you know that's the real thing that I'm uh, addressing now. At the core, what is what are you finding? Why what is being like going to get you that you don't have? Nothing, nothing. It's an illusion. It's it's just a, it's a it's because of childhood trauma, you know. That's always like the sort of Freudian psychoanalysis. It's, it's, I mean, I, am a, I believe in Freud. Do you still think people don't like you all the time? Um, yeah, yeah, totally. I think I mean, and there are people who don't like me, and and then I have the. Have you given them I reasons the, to not like you? I think that I don't I don't like when people I care about are mistreated and I don't like when I'm mistreated and uh I think that um I react to that sometimes and people are surprised uh on my reaction because nobody sees themselves as a person who is mistreating anybody you know Here's something I think you you've hit on something that I've been fascinated about yeah. in your work and my today talking to you which by the way right when we met, you immediately were honest. Yeah. My friend Andrew Gerlin once said to me once, I was like, do you think I'm crazy? <laughs> I'm like, He's like, I don't think you're crazy, but I see why people think you're crazy. I can see that too. Because you require everything in communicating. This is why I, 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 I liked it immediately. I was like, oh, I like this. Is, this so, I feel like maybe I do that. To folks, and so that maybe it's sort of a kinship, but it's uh, when I really noticed it, actually, and it was an odd moment, and it's been talked about before, but it's the Eric Andre thing, the live show you did on Pete Holmes' uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's a point to this, I promise, and it's that I re-listened to that about 10 times last night. Uh-huh. There's like a two-minute <laughs> clip on YouTube, because I searched Brett Gelman on YouTube. I was just doing some research. Uh-huh. It's the number three thing that comes up. The third thing is this fucking interaction, and then the or my weirdness, or which I you know held dear, I guess, and then uh, Eric, and then it would always get messed up when the desk would get cleaned, and I'd like flip out. Yeah, no. Eric Andre has a question. So Morgan Freeman, like, he went to like a Thanksgiving, and his son was like, you know, Dad, I'm getting remarried. Uh, she has a daughter, blah, blah, blah. They're all at Thanksgiving. And then what was the transition? Like, hey, oh, you want to get coffee sometime? <laughs> how did you, how do you begin to date and fuck your stepdaughter? <laughs> what's like the, what's step so, one? So, 
You're like, you were well, living what in the... What is the need? What is the need? Why do a non sequitur while I'm talking about something about Morgan Freeman fucking his stepdaughter? Did, were you, that was, Why do that? That did happen earlier. It was weird. Callback. It was, it was a callback. I it heard was, it. Okay, I heard did, it was okay. a callback. I mean, how do you get there? Here's my interpretation. I feel like it upset you. My interpretation is Eric knows we're near the end of the show and he wanted to get a laugh to bring us out. Right. But I've never been scolded for trying to make a comedy show funny by another person who does comedy for a living. What the fuck is going on? What fucked up thing happened during your childhood? And I'm curious. I was, I was fascinated by the candor of it because what he said wasn't funny. I like Eric. He came on the podcast. Strangest episode of the show. I think he's a solid guy. But what he said wasn't really funny, and it didn't contribute to the flow of the show. It wasn't contributed to the comedy of the show. And your response was fair. But it was uncomfortably honest. Several things were happening during that, that, during that show. Okay. Yeah. I mean, A, I thought like I wasn't as good of friends with Eric then as I am now. I have a great respect for Eric. I love his show. And he is a very good person. At the time, I, I thought he was being desperate, you know, and um, interrupting with jokes just to interrupt because I, I truly felt in the moment that he got uncomfortable with things not being funny, um, which I don't think is the case with him anymore. And, and, and to critique myself, I think I was maybe too comfortable with things not being funny at that time. So we were clashing. It was the opposite of extremes. Right. Um, and, you know, Pete, I, you know, in Pete's pre-interview, and I love, you know, I love Pete too, but like in his pre-interview there, it was, I thought he was, you know, it was a little, the interaction was strange between him and I. Uh, before we started the show, mm. and then what was strange? Um, I just thought that I felt like he didn't want me to be. He wasn't really. It, it was at this festival, and I felt like he uh, was kind of stuck with me. You know that I wouldn't have been really if we were not at this festival. I would not have been asked to do the podcast. So I was upset. Um. And then I had to have my boys back. I mean, there was also this guy who was justifiably to me pissed off that, like, of all the things that they could talk about, the host brought him on and, and surprised him with talking about a job that he beat him out for. What was Just this? To, it was for a commercial. It was for E-Trade. Hmm. And, you know, I get, the, the, I, I get that Pete thought that, like, John being who he is and the type of work that John has always made and the type of comedian that John is, that he assumed that John wouldn't care about that. But, like, but John did. And he should have made sure, uh, you know, of John's perspective on that before he brought it up. Hmm. And John does not suffer fools. And John... To me, John's like my Louis, you know? John is like one of the most influential comedians on me. Wait, are you and, are you Marin in this? Huh? Are you Marin in this? What do you yep. mean? You're Louis. What, what does that mean? Oh, I think a lot of people idolize Louis, and I love Louis. Oh, oh but, okay. And like a lot of like comedians in the alt scene were like looking to Louis or like looking to Patton. And I love those guys. I mean, I think they're amazing, and they are uh, definitely influenced me. 
you know, and I think, but like John was like my favorite. You should probably say his last name for people. John Glazer, yeah. everyone. John Glazer is one of my favorite comedians. So, and this, and he, and he's a really, really good friend of mine. And I felt that he was sort of being ganged up on, and I felt like I had to have his back in the interview. And I didn't feel, you know, by the time I got on there, you know, Pete had sort of dropped it and had realized that he fucked up. And then, but then Eric kept going. Mm. And I felt in the moment that it was necessary to put Eric in his place. Mm. Did you know in the moment when you were like, when you stopped midstream, that you were just like, what are you, you, you asked, um, what are you doing right now? Yeah. Did you know when you started that sentence that you're like, oh, fuck. All right. I guess I'm doing this. Uh, yeah. I I, I you, wanted to do it. You wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was like, this is going to be incredibly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this podcast is like, you know, let it's already so interesting because of what John did. I will make it more interesting. How often do you say <laughs> things in social interactions just to see? Yeah, see what happens. I, I don't do it. Uh, I'm aware, but it's also what I truly felt. I know. I understand. Um, I'm not saying I, you, you know, do it I like, like to for... speak my mind, but I'm also, though, I am realizing that at times it's, uh, it's not necessarily helping the cause, maybe. Um, but at times it is. You know, it's always a risk. No, I'm not like calculate. I'm not very calculating. I didn't mean it like that. Yeah. I meant more like in retrospect and you're looking back on it, you're like, oh, I do, I do um, say things that are probably true, but maybe not be an opportune time. Or rather, it's going to get a certain response that you know is going to elicit discomfort. Yeah. Which is well, not I think discomfort's good. I, I do too. Yeah, yeah. I do too. So I, you know, I know I make people feel uncomfortable. Sometimes, yeah, but uh, but see, this is why I have I, their own interests at heart. If you're if you're fine and accepting the discomfort, then don't you also have to accept that you're not going to be liked sometimes? Because discomfort engenders yes. people not liking you. That's yeah, just, yeah, that's yeah. What's going to happen? Yeah, no, I accept it. I don't like it, but I accept it. You want your cake and eat it. I like. Well, I'd like to people to be like he's not doing that just to fuck with me. He's doing it because at heart he has my best interests. Yeah. You know, as I would want that, I would rather somebody come up to me and be like, dude, you're being a fucking asshole right now. I appreciate that. I appreciate honest criticism of my behavior Um, from anyone. I might disagree with you, but I'd rather you communicate with me uh, honestly. You just have to be prepared for me to communicate honestly with you back. But if I'm hurting you, I want you to, I want people to tell me that. Yeah. Yeah. So is that why you... I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt Eric. I want him to shut the fuck up and let me be interviewed. I'm glad we got the whole background for that. Yeah, that's the whole background of that. So that is an interview that everybody talks about. Yeah. Were you, were you fascinated <laughs> if, if by that? If that had not happened... Huh? Were you fascinated by that? I, you know, I was sort of like not aware of it. And then people would tell me that it's being taught, you know, and I like, I just like, I didn't even know that like split cider wrote something about it until like a year after they did. It also seemed like it led to a friendship. What was that conversation like with Eric after Eric was really upset. 
And then I realized he's upset in that in the t- when you hear the tape, you can hear him. Upset. Yeah, he was really hurt by it, and he he felt like he and I understand where he was coming from, and he felt like he was just trying to be funny and like make a funny thing happen, and uh, yeah. So I I get where where he's coming from, you know. You two are just radically different people, aren't you? Me and Eric. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of similarities between him and I. There's, uh, a, there's an aggression for sure. Yeah, and I think he likes to make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and he, uh, but but also not just to do it. He has a point. Mm. You know, I think like his whole show is is a deep point, and I think that he is a great example of confronting people in sort of an indirect way. But he's saying some very real things about about life in his show. Yeah. I think he likes discomfort, but on his terms. No, he'll take it. He's an open guy. He's not like a defensive guy. Oh, I meant in the work. Sorry, I didn't mean like I don't know. I don't know in day to day life. What do you mean though? On his I mean, terms, I mean like that show, and it's something we talked about when he came on here. Is that he has all the cards in that situation? He, I, I don't know how uncomfortable he is doing any of that because he, he's the puppeteer. He's he knows all the stops. He knows where. You know, he doesn't know what's going to happen. But he's in complete charge of that interaction with random people. Yeah, but I also think he's had some really rough people on that show where it could have gone, a re- and it did go a really bad way. Mm. <laughs> and they did not react. I mean, not everybody leaves that show uh, a fan of his. I cannot deal with people in art in a, like, a real way i'm not like i'm not like him or like sasha baron cohen or like andy kaufman in that way is it because there he doesn't care about to being be some sort of wall but like some sort of understanding this is an act this is a i don't know why i i just i i don't like you you have that or you don't this year 2017 what with lemon at sundance but also moving forward this year what do you want for you and your partner I want us. Uh, I want the. We both want the film to be received, in really well, um, and we want to grow in, uh, continue to grow both professionally and artistically. And uh, but I'm I I don't think I've ever been as proud of anything as I am this film. Really? It is a, yeah, I'm That's the most proud thing. of this uh, in terms of. The piece itself, and uh, also my my work in it. I think it's my best work so far, and uh, and I just I think it's a you know I how I hope people see the film is that it's a real a real love letter to to, to cinema. I I think that it really it, it it's I, I think it it just. Uh, it takes big swings at what film can do. And I hope that people appreciate that and are excited by that and inspired by that. And I hope people, I hope people relate to my character hmm. and, and my character's story. And What's the plot don't line judge. for people listening? I mean, you basically watch me fail for 90 minutes. That's good. <laughs> that's very, that's very... And I will say that I am grateful for the des- my desperation to be liked because I don't think that I would be the actor I was if I if I didn't have that. So I guess that I don't really, you know, as much as I hate that about myself, I also am grateful that I do have that quality. She came up with the idea based on 
on aspects of both of our personalities. I mean, this is both our greatest fear is that you know, we will amount to nothing. And, uh, and that is what the film is about. It's about that fear of that you won't get what you want. And it's impossible to get what, what you want based on who you are. Mm. It's an interesting parallel between, because the, the crux of this film that you're describing it, with like your hopes for its success. It's interesting. Like you want, it's a movie about success that you're hoping is going to be successful. It's some sort of strange meta psychological. It's a movie about failure that I hope is successful. (laughs) (laughs) While also talking about your own insecurities about failure. I mean, it's really, this is a, how are you feeling? Are you feeling okay? Because this is like a tight knit. (laughs) This, This is a tight knit. Wow. Some people just make movies about like, puppies or something you, yeah you've like not us you put your whole shit on it this is... <laughs> yeah we don't make movies about puppies uh yeah i mean there it's i i i think the film's incredibly funny too i think all the performances the uh cinematography the the score it's all there's a lot of there's a lot of love and passion in telling this tale of failure Seems like a good... And all the characters. Good message for 2017. Yeah. Don't judge yourself. Just, like, try you know, try to change. Or judge yourself, but be okay with what you find. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Much better way to put it. Uh, thanks for doing this podcast, Brett. Thank you, man. This is fun. Thanks yeah. for having me. It was good. <laughs> Special thanks this week to friend of the show, Kalyan Levy, for helping make this episode happen. Truly, this would not exist without her help. Shoutouts also to the kind people at CineFamily, Trevor, Kate, Drew, Hadrian, for letting us record in their theater pretty much unannounced uh, earlier this week. You can keep an eye out on Lemon, Janiska Bravo's feature film debut starring Brett as it premieres at this year's Sundance Film Festival on Sunday, January 22nd. I'm sure it will promptly receive distribution in a city near you. Although Brett is off Twitter, his work is all around the internet. Uh, Check him out on shows like Fleabag, Jeff and Some Aliens, High Maintenance, and plenty of others. If you're not currently doing so already, you can subscribe to Talk Easy on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. If you want to drop us a line about anything, feel free to email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod, as well as our website, www.talkeasypod.com. Our music this week is by both Jin Sang and Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, social media by Maria Mayella. Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer, and the show is produced and edited by Nora Knight. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.